my mind is a house with walls covered in lyrics they're all over the place As I'm sure is true for most of you, I've gone through a lot of hard and, and hurtful times in my life. You know, times where I, I just seemed to hit the wall. Times when it just felt as if life was becoming overwhelming. But, but here's the surprising thing to me. Those times weren't the times when I was facing the most difficult tasks or the hardest jobs or having to climb the biggest mountains, those, those hurtful times, the hardest times were the times when I was struggling with the deepest internal hurts. You know, those times when, when people seem to fail me or disappoint me, when I experience the proverbial dagger in the back, when people have, in an undeserved and dishonest and yet extremely vicious and destructive way attacked my character. But here's what's weird. As, as difficult and painful as those times are, the hardest and most hurtful times for me have been when I have felt all alone. When I have felt as if I was living a life filled with rooms of loneliness. And the sad reality is that this isn't just a unique experience for me. This is something that, that all of us experience, many of you know personally. And in fact, unfortunately, loneliness is a common and growing phenomenon experience in America. There are, there are tons of beautiful houses all over this great land. There, these houses are filled with tons of beautifully directed, decorated rooms, and yet too many of these houses and too many of these rooms, our houses, our rooms, are filled with nothing but loneliness. A recent survey, and by recent I mean as of last year, was done by the Harris Poll, and it showed that almost three-quarters of all Americans, 72%, experience moments of profound loneliness. And for many, it's not just a once-in-a-while occurrence in their life. One-third say that they feel these strong senses of loneliness at least once a week. Some experts actually are, are calling it a modern-day epidemic, but the reality is that this thing called loneliness that is painful, is difficult, that we all face is not new. It's been around forever. In fact, as we continue in this series called Rooms, Rooms of Loneliness this weekend, I want you to see this, this important truth that I think isn't in our conversation enough. It's the truth that loneliness is one of life's deepest hurts. In fact, when I kind of came up with the idea of going the direction of loneliness on this weekend, I, 
it almost sounds like, well, this isn't a really big issue. A lot of people are going to go, well, why did I waste a weekend on this? But the, the more you get into it and the more you understand who we are and how we live and what the inside of our lives are really like, the more you understand that this is the painful experience of all of us at times, many of us right now. Loneliness is one of life's deepest hurts. God even allowed us to see this through the psalmist in Psalm 25, verse 16. He's actually praying to God, and he says, Turn to me, God, and, and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. And those two go together. You can't be profoundly lonely and not at the same time profoundly afflicted. It is a deep internal hurt. And when you really think about it, it, it makes sense, doesn't it? Because isn't this what solitary confinement is about? Solitary confinement is considered a, a torture that can literally break down the hardest of criminals, the hardest of hearts. It's, it's, it's painful, and the reason loneliness is so painful is because it's so contrary to our nature as human beings. God, God has wired us up as human beings to desperately need companionship. And that's where we find true joy in life. Great example of this, God, God wove together the creation story so that we would understand about our makeup and where we come from, who we are, how we're meant to live. And in, in the creation story, in the beginning portions of the Bible, he makes it clear that he put together Adam, the very first human being on this planet, and, and God created him perfectly. I mean, there were no flaws, no failures yet, no guilt, no shame, just this, this guy perfectly created by God named Adam. And then God put Adam into a perfect context, into a place that God himself called paradise. And so he created this perfect man and put him in a perfect place, paradise. And he even says that he had a perfect relationship with this man who was living in this perfect environment. And and it was at that moment God looked down and he said, this, this isn't good. And what's not good about it? A perfect man, perfect environment, perfect relationship with God. And what wasn't good is he says, it's, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'm going to make a companion for him. They're not wired to be alone. And so God gave him Eve. And then God looked down and said, now, this is good. We weren't made for loneliness. When we experience it, it's against our design and it becomes this deep and very destructive hurt in our lives. And, and it's just not for people who don't know God, it's for those who do. It's not just for people who are seeking God to understand this, it's for all of us to understand this because it's a part of our human wiring. And one of the great examples, I think, in the Bible, in, in, it's seen over and over again in his story because he's honest about his human experiences found in a guy named Paul, St. Paul we call him. He's the guy that wrote many of the books of the New Testament. He's, he's made a profound impact in the world, in our lives, if we're seeking God in any way. And Paul was honest about the, the impact of loneliness in his life. And it's hard to imagine, isn't it, this St. Paul and he did all these great things and yet he struggled with what we struggle with in our everyday lives, loneliness. 
he really unfolded a lot of his thinking about loneliness in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 21, and I thought we could learn from him. Because ultimately, Paul, though experiencing the pain of loneliness and experiencing loneliness because of all that contributes to it in our lives, he lived well and he finished well. He still lived out a great story, and that's what we want for our lives. And so we can learn so much from him. He can relate to us. We can relate to him. But the question is, will we make the same choices he made? In the beginning of this particular passage in 2 Timothy 4, 6, Paul says, I, I want you to know, and he's just being really honest, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. My, I mean, I'm being turned inside out. My whole life is like a sacrifice. It's just, I mean, it's eating me alive. Uh, and he tells us why through this thing. And one of the things he says is in verse 16, he says, at my first offense, no one came to support, to support me, but everyone deserted me. If you don't know about Paul's story, if you don't know much about the Bible, at my first offense, he was wrongly accused of all kinds of wrongdoing simply for sharing his faith in Jesus. People were malicious, and, and, and he had to stand up in court and really defend himself for his life. And he's saying, when I had to defend myself in this court for my life, no one came to my support. No one. Everyone deserted me. You get the sense of loneliness there? This guy who had given his whole life for others, no one was willing to stand with him. He was lonely. And in the unfolding of this particular passage, he, he tells us many of the common causes of loneliness, all of which I believe we can relate to, all of which we can count on experiencing in our life. I know I have. And, and it just simply contributes to the loneliness that we experience in this world, the, the rooms of loneliness that we build into our lives. And you know where it starts? And we find this in Paul. We, it starts with guilt and shame. That's where loneliness begins, with guilt and shame. Because you see, when we, when we fail, when we have things that cause guilt in our lives and shame in our life, you know what we do? We, we tuck that away as deep as we can into the recesses of our lives. We put that in the real private rooms of our lives and, and we never invite people into into those rooms where the guilt is, the shame is, where the real us is. We, we clean up some outer rooms and we create a life with a great image, with great curb appeal, and we invite people there, but all the while, even if they love us, even if many people love us, we know because we know what's deeper in, we know where the real us lives, that, that they don't know the real us. And so the guilt and the shame is in there. And, the people who say they love us don't know it, and we don't let them see it because we're afraid if they knew the real us, then they wouldn't love us anymore. And so all the while, we're absolutely alone because the people who love us don't love the real us. We don't invite them into those rooms. Do you know what I'm saying? And so guilt and shame keeps us alone. And Paul experienced this. You know it because time and time again in his writings, he called himself the chief of sinners. I mean, to call yourself the chief of sinners when you're being authentic, you're, you're acknowledging that you're set apart. He, he carried a lot of guilt and shame for what he had done. He had literally killed some of the early Christ followers. He had totally destroyed many of their lives. And, 
thrown many in prison. And when he finally came to faith, he was really on the war path to destroy others. And he had a hard time. He did. He lived well and he finished well, but he had a hard time dismissing that. I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the chief of sinners. And guilt and shame causes us to hide. And when we're in hiding, we are alone. And when we're alone, it's like the torture of solitary confinement. Do you see it? And it goes all the way back to the beginning of our humanity. We saw that Adam wasn't meant to live alone, and so he had Eve. But unfortunately, both of them failed profoundly. And they went from innocent to guilty, and from having nothing to be ashamed of to being filled with shame. Look at how the Bible portrays it in Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. They all of a sudden experienced shame and guilt and so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves what are they doing they're they're hiding right they're hiding their their true selves like they never had before they're covering themselves up they're trying to hide the shame all of a sudden they're not knowing each other in the same way and then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day they had walked with God day after day after day in total innocence with no guilt no shame perfect intimacy, perfect community, but all of a sudden now they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Do you see it? They're in hiding. Why? Because of guilt and shame. All of a sudden we don't want God to know us and we don't want to know him because guilt and shame cause us to go into hiding. We don't want others to know us as we really are. We are afraid they won't love us. And so we live with a facade of who we are, believing that the people Even those who say they love us most wouldn't love us if they knew who we really are, and that's called aloneness, guilt and shame. If we're going to ever experience the the kind of community, the kind of relationships, the kind of life where we don't experience the pain of aloneness, then we have to, like Paul did, deal with this guilt and shame thing, and we can, but, but we have to deal with it. Otherwise, we live in these private rooms of our own making that are like solitary confinement. It's like torture. Paul tells us in this passage that there's another very common cause for our loneliness, which we experience, and that that common cause is transition. When when we go through times of change, it disrupts everything, and it, it really can make us feel like we're all alone. We're having to struggle and wrestle through life, and no one can help us. Times of change can create great loneliness. I know it. I've been through a ton of them. Look at how he says it in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. I'm, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, he says, and the time has come for my departure. He was really getting close to, he believed, to his death. And talk about a transition. And, you know, that struggle of change and what we go through as, our, as we age, as our bodies break down, as we go through that huge change, we feel alone. People tend to pull away from us. It's true with any change in life. And Here's the problem. Change really does produce loneliness, and we happen to be living in a world that's constantly changing. I mean, not only does our human progress change in our physical life, and, but everything in our world is changing, which is why so many of us feel so alone. And unless we learn to overcome loneliness, we're going to always be hurting because the world's always changing. Paul tells us that that loneliness is often caused not just by, by the guilt and shame we have within and by the transitions we face, but also by separation. And this makes sense. I mean, if you deeply love someone and you're separated from them, there's this sense of, 
of loneliness. You want them with you. Paul, Paul had lots of friends, and one of his friends was Timothy. It's who he was writing this book, 2 Timothy 2, and, and they were separated, and <clears throat> Paul cared about them deeply. And Paul was going through things that made him feel the pain of aloneness, and look what he says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. He says, hey, Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. I really need you. You know, everyone's deserted me. No one's standing with me. I'm all alone. O only he had one friend with him, Luke, and he goes, you... I, you come quickly, would you? That has a sense of urgency, but it's a little bit general. So then he talks about all the aloneness things he's experiencing. And then, then just a couple of verses later in verse 21, look what he says. Do your best to get here before winter. You see, hey, d come quickly. I, I really need you here, but that's pretty open-ended, right? Come as fast as you can. And then he rewrote it and goes, no, don't come as fast as you can. Get here before winter. And I, I imagine if the book had more than the chapters that if he was willing to write a longer letter he would have said by the way get here before the leaves fall off the trees would you no really seriously memorial day's coming maybe you should show up it's almost spring I, it's like he wanted timothy there because separation causes loneliness we know what this is like because we live in a world of separation parents parents often feel this sense of separation and profound aloneness when they enter that that empty nest phase of life. You know, when they're, they're kids that they've literally wrapped their lives around for decades all leave home, many parents really wrestle with profound aloneness there. Many couples actually struggle so much in their marriages can even break apart at that time because they so wrapped themselves up in the kids that they lost each other in the process and, and that sense of aloneness is there. I always try to, to be absolutely honest on the platform. I do my best at it, and so I, I think it's important for me to tell you I, I experienced no sadness whatsoever when our kids left home. <laughs> it, it was the answer to every prayer I had prayed for decades. But, uh, and there's a, some hyperbole there, but... It, it didn't destroy Roxanne or I because Roxanne and I believe that the greatest gift we could give our kids is to make sure that our relationship was a love relationship where that love spilled out on our kids instead of rejecting each other to turn to our kids so that we could give them that story. So for us, so we love our kids and we love it that a couple of our kids are, are still in this area and we get to spend our lives with them. It didn't ruin us because we still had each other, right? but we won't always. I watched my mom say goodbye to my dad and the aloneness that came was beyond my comprehension for her. I mean, I experienced it as a son losing his dad. I have two people in the world who knew me from my birth and one of them gone. That created a separation and aloneness that I couldn't fix and it impacted me, but my mom what she experienced and loneliness. We experience it with the loss of intimate friends and relationships as life changes and we can't be with them anymore. Right? By the way, we're in a very mobile society. We, we don't all get born and die in the same communities anymore. It's so easy to move away. We have a, our youngest daughter who lives in New York City with her husband, Matt, and, and their baby, Cohen, and, and you know, separation. 
is tough. Now, don't get me wrong. Like I said, I want to be honest. We don't really care so much about my daughter and son-in-law. It's the grandbaby that we care about. And, <laughs> but separation, right? Some of you are separated in ways that have left you absolutely lonely. But Paul teaches us we can still live well if we choose right. He also tells us it's not just separation, it's opposition. When we face opposition, we, we're, we're placed in, in conflict. He, look at how he says it in 2 Timothy 4.14, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. He, I mean, he's creating just an unbelievable conflict for my life. And he experienced this a lot. And in times of opposition, you know what happens? We, we have to stand alone. It's exactly what happened with Paul. Many of us compromise what we believe or we don't speak what we believe because in this world of political correctness, we're afraid that we'll be left alone. The problem is, would you rather have God in you at work or would you rather have a bunch of people with you but emptiness on side? And so you have to be careful here. But he, he experienced great opposition and he had to stand alone. And I know, I know what this is like and I don't want to pretend I... I know opposition like Paul did, maybe not even like some of you do, but I've had a lot of opposition in my life, and for years I had to face that opposition alone, Roxanne and me against the world and ministry and these kind of things. I know what aloneness is, but one of the things I thank God about for Northridge is that here, though I still face a ton of opposition, how can you, how can you lead a place like this or speak to so many or try to speak truth in a world that rejects truth without facing opposition. I still face a lot of opposition, but let me tell you, I never have to face it alone because here I've got people who are willing to stand with me and die with me in this fight, which is one of the things that makes Northridge so profoundly great. You don't have to do it alone. Paul tells us that one of the things that really we fight as human beings that can give us this sense of painful aloneness is rejection when we're rejected. And you look at how he speaks it in 2 Timothy 4.10 for Demas because he loved this world has deserted me. He poured his whole life into Demas. He had such high hopes for Demas and then Demas decided that he loved the temporary more than the eternal. And Boy, that happens a lot these days with our kids, with our friends, with our spouses sometimes, with people we care about. It's happened for me with staff where they just, they just decide they're going to love the, the temporary instead of the eternal and they reject you or betray you. You've been there, right? He said, at my first defense in verse 16, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. He knew what rejection was and there's a ton of this in our world. We, we learn rejection early in life, don't we? Don't we learn rejection like on the playground of elementary school? I mean, which, which one of us likes to be chosen last for kickball? Right? You, you can even see it. It's like, they're not doing your name, not doing your name, and then you're the last one left, and you know they don't want to say your name, but they have to. Oh, my gosh, rejection. I know what it's like not to be picked at all. You know, I know the sound of the swing. While the kids are over there having fun, right? It's like rejection. We learn it early, but it gets more profoundly impacting, doesn't it? it happens in our families. Siblings reject each other. We had three kids, and it was, there was always two against one, and it was never the same two, usually. 
happens parents to children. Sometimes parents are the perfect parents, but they still have to go to work. They can't be in two places at one time, and kids can experience the profound need for a parent, and the parent can't be there, and they feel rejected. There's so much sense of rejection in this world, and doesn't it just create the idea that no one loves me, that I'm alone? And it happens in dating so many. Why, why doesn't someone want to date me, or why won't they date me again? Happens even in marriages where spouses who said they'd love us for a lifetime, don't love us anymore, and it's just lonely. Happens in the marketplace when we give ourselves to a, to a company, and whether they have justification or not, they, they dismiss us from that, and it's just this sense of unbelievable rejection, right? It's the world we live in. It can happen in simpler things like social media. Man, I know this, this profound pain of rejection in social media. I'll write this brilliant post And no one likes it. It's rejection. I don't know why I only have two followers. I can't figure that out. I... But seriously, it's like rejection. Doesn't it make you feel alone? It's painful. But here's the thing. Paul told us it doesn't have to define you. What this series is all about is that we have these internal rooms that really do define us and we've allowed them to be filled with all the wrong things, but Jesus has made it possible. Listen, this is the truth. Jesus has made it possible for us not to be defined by the darkness of hidden rooms in our lives, like rooms of loneliness, but he can literally tear those down and fill us with light. Our lives don't have to be dark, even though we live in a world of darkness, they can be light, but we have to make the right choices, so the application is, is clear. If we're really going to experience life as God designed it, if we're going to live well and if we're going to finish well, if we're going to avoid totally destroying our, our journey, our story on this planet, then we have to learn to appropriately respond to loneliness because we're going to face it. We're going to face it because we're going to face rejection and opposition and separation. We're going to face it because we have failures in a life that bring guilt and shame. We're going to face it. And so we have to learn to appropriately respond to it. And Paul did it. Look at 2 Timothy 4, 7, 8. In this, in this passage about his aloneness, he says, but I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've, I've kept the faith. In fact, Timothy, now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. I have experienced profound loneliness and no one has stood with me. I know what that pain is like, but but it didn't win, I won. It didn't destroy me. I still lived and finished well. And, and he says, and this isn't just for me, it's for all who have longed for his appearing. Anyone who's wanting to live their story for God and live for eternal things, they can do it as well, which means we can. It's available to us. So what did he do? Well, how, how did he respond to loneliness? He responded, first of all, and this is where you have to start, he responded by releasing his hurt. We have to release our hurt. Rooms of loneliness get built because of all that hurt that we hide inside and we hold it in and it keeps us from trusting people because they'll reject us or they'll oppose us or they'll hurt us or we'll be separated from them. Well, we don't want to be hurt that way. We don't want to feel that loneliness and so we, we don't allow ourselves to trust and love anymore and that hurt just keeps us pushing people away. But 
we have to release it. Look at 2 Timothy 4.16. This blows my mind about Paul. He says, and you've heard this, at my first defense, no one came to my support. No one. Everyone deserted me. But then look at the next sentence. It's so surprising. He's praying and he's saying, God, you know no one's been there for me. And then he says, may it not be held against them. Are you kidding me? I... I'm praying this, I'm saying, at my first events, no one came to my support, everyone deserted me. God, if you could wipe them out, that'd be awesome. <laughs> it's kind of how I'm going at the deal. I'm a pastor, so I can't say kill them. I can think it, I can't say it, but <laughs> I can say maybe take their legs out or something. Uh, but he does, and he says, may it not be held against them. You see, our tendency when lonely is to become resentful towards others and even God, to sulk and throw a pity party. The problem is that just builds walls around us that keep people even further away from us. It allows loneliness to expand and we lock ourselves in a prison of solitary confinement and it becomes our little torture chamber because loneliness is one of life's deeper hurts. We have to release our hurt. We have to release it. And Jesus made that possible, as we'll see. If we're going to truly respond appropriately to loneliness, then we have to use our time wisely. Let's be honest. When you're lonely, you have a lot of time on your hands. And you have to choose how to use it. And if you don't use it wisely, it'll become destructive. You'll obsess on the negative and life will become a room of darkness. Look at how Paul approached it, 2 Timothy 4, 13. When, when you come, Timothy... Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. You know, I need, I'm cold. But also bring my scrolls, especially the parchments. He goes, bring my reading material. Bring the scriptures. I, I want to use my time wisely. I want to grow and spend time with God. I want to expand my mind. I want to keep growing. And by the way, we know that he used a lot of his time in prison in solitary confinement in loneliness. He, he used it to write to Christians in the churches like 2 Timothy here writing to people and do you realize 2,000 years later we're benefiting from what he wrote because he chose to use his time of loneliness to help others instead of to obsess on himself. He used his time wisely. We have to resist the temptation to do nothing, to be paralyzed when we're lonely. The truth is that God has us where we are in every season for a reason and in the short term, being alone doesn't have to be a, a curse or a time of hurt. It can be a season of growth where our life is enriched and expanded. We wouldn't have much of the New Testament if he hadn't invested his life wisely. What will the world miss if we don't invest our life wisely? Maybe our loneliness is simply God giving us the time to make a difference we wouldn't have if we weren't lonely. Even Jesus experienced loneliness. No lonelier place in the world than opposed by everyone, rejected by everyone, separated from everyone he loved and nailed to a cross where he was dying for not his sin and guilt, but ours. He knew loneliness. He knew what it was like to pray alone in the greatest burden of his life and have everyone else sleeping around him, not caring, not understanding. He knew. Truth is, Jesus spent a lot of his time alternating between time with people and then time alone where he could spend time with God and experience renewal. Loneliness does not have to be destructive if we use our time wisely. That's what Paul did. Are you? 
If we're going to respond properly to loneliness and live and finish well, then we have to refocus on others. When you're really, really lonely and you're really hurting because of it, who are you focused on? Yourself. I know this firsthand. Paul refocused on others. It's why he wrote letters to others and he spoke to others. And look at 2 Timothy 4.17. He says, God's allowed all this to happen so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. God's doing this so that, that I might be able to share the good news of Jesus with even more people. You just need to know one way to overcome the, the hurtful reality of loneliness is to get involved in something that involves other people. Serve others. And all of a sudden, you're not as lonely anymore. You're making a difference. And I, I, this isn't a marketing exercise, but let me just tell you, Northridge, because of the size of our community and the many things that we do, whether on campus or in community around the world, there are so many ways for you to serve others and thus experience the breaking down of loneliness in your life. There are so many ways to connect, and you can't wait for the phone to ring. You just step across the line into someone else's life. Because someone needs you to serve them. Since so many people are lonely, we can overcome our loneliness by, by stepping in and serving them in their loneliness, and then there's a win-win. Two lonely people are no longer lonely. Refocus on others. And here's an example of what I mean. We should refocus on being a good friend instead of trying to find a good friend. And here's what I mean by that. We need to stop looking for friends who will help us not to be lonely, and we need to start seeking simply to be the kind of friend to people that will help them in their need. Because if you're looking for a friend who will help you not be lonely, when you find that friend, you will suck them dry of every ounce of compassion they have to give to where they no longer want to be with you. When someone asks you for a drink of water from your life, do not give them Niagara Falls. Look, I'm a pastor and I care about people and we make a lot of investments in people, but on my day off, I don't want to be with people who are going to suck me dry and add nothing to my life. Which is why I've created a great care ministry here at Northridge, so <laughs> you can go to them. It's not, that's not 100% true. The key is we have to learn to be a good friend in order to have good friends. You'll never long for friends if you're the kind of friend that lifts people up when you're with them and adds to their life when you're with them and makes their life better when you're with them and serves them. We find ourselves needing friends when we're asking every friend to serve us. Refocus on others. If we're going to respond appropriately to loneliness, then we need to remain aware of God's presence. This is this is really where Paul hit it out of the park on this issue. He was lonely. He knew what it was like to be deserted by everyone, but he never forgot he wasn't alone, really. 2 Timothy 4.17, but, but the Lord stood at my side. Every person failed me, but the Lord stood at my side. Here's our problem. Very often when the world's failing us, we blame God. And it's not God's issue. God never fails us. We need to remember he's there. He's at our side. He's trying to 
help us write the story with our life that we long to write. And here's what Paul remembered, what we need to remember. He's always present. No matter what we're experiencing, Jesus said it, I'm with you always to the very end of the age, Matthew 28, 20. Paul always, always, always remembered that God always, always, always understands. Always. We get mad at God because we don't think he understands. We don't think he gets it. Yes, he does. Jesus knows what it's like to face all the issues that bring about profound loneliness. He knows what it's like to be the creator of the world and yet to be nailed to a lonely cross. He knows what it's like to die for other people's sins, to experience injustice. He knows. Hebrews 4.15, the Bible says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus really always understands. There's nothing you're facing that he doesn't understand. You need to remember it. And Paul always remembered that God always cares. We start thinking that God doesn't care about us, which is why we're experiencing pain. Not true. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares. He cares for you. Look at I know life can be lonely, and I know loneliness can be one of life's deepest hurts, and I know there's nothing we can do to avoid the world that creates loneliness, but I also know that we don't have to be alone and that we don't have to live in rooms of loneliness, that we can be set free if we, like Paul, make the right choices. And really, the right choice, I can define it in four simple words. It ultimately, when we're experiencing loneliness, when we're sitting in our room of loneliness, we need to just look to the Lord. We need to look to the Lord. That's what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 17 and 18, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. I know you don't have strength, nor do I, but God does. He'll give it to you. The Lord will rescue me, he says, from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. We can live well, and finish well when we look to the Lord. Are you? This is why Jesus said what he said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. He understands. He knows life can be just absolutely filled with burdens and can make us weary. But look what he says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And, and what? I'll give you rest. I'll remove the pain and the burden and the weariness. You've got to come to me and I... I just think too many of us complain to him but don't come to him. We complain, you're doing this, you're not doing this, why aren't you doing this? If you'd show up, then I'd do this, and, on, on, on. and we, we whine and complain with each other, and we whine and complain with him, when all along all we need to do is come to him, and he'll take it. Come to him. Look to him. Romans 10, 13 Simple sentence, profound truth. Everyone who comes to the Lord will be saved. And this is what we need. Saved from what? Saved from the things that torture us. Saved from the things that hurt us. Saved from the things that destroy us. Saved from the things keeping us living in rooms of darkness. Saved from our guilt and our shame. And this is why he died on the cross, because our guilt and shame puts us in hiding, makes us guilty, creates aloneness. But... When he died on that cross, all of our shame and guilt can be put on him so that in his resurrection we can have new life. But what do we have to do? We have to call on his name. Let's call on his name. Just before we move into worship, I'm going to ask if you'd bow with me in a word of prayer just for a minute. Whether you're in 
our campus setting or online, just bow and I just want to encourage you, if you've never experienced Jesus forgiving you and removing the guilt and shame and living in you and standing at your side, pray with me now, would you? Take my words and make these words yours. Quietly in your heart, just say, Jesus, I, I'm calling on your name. I believe all of the darkness and all of the guilt and all of the shame and all the aloneness you experienced on that cross so I could be set free. And so I confess my sin and my guilt and my need and put my faith in your death and burial and resurrection and I'm calling on you and asking you to save me by faith. In Jesus' name. Drop on.